You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, I, I, I guess we're talking about ourselves today, Mike. Yeah, nothing I'd rather talk about. No, well, you know, you know the thing that's interesting about the projection booth that I think is a little bit different than all of the other film podcasts that you listen to out there is that we don't really talk about ourselves all that much, except in the context of the film. Meaning that, well, when did you see this? Well, I saw this when I worked at the theater, or I used to work at the you know the video store, or whatever, and that's when I saw it. We don't really get into like, so what did you see at the theater last week, or what are you watching, or what are you reading, or what are you doing? Yeah, I, I noticed that a lot of other shows spend a good 15 20 minutes sometimes especially if they have multiple uh co-hosts uh just sort of recapping what they've been doing in the past week or month or however long it is between the episodes yeah there was one show i used to listen to i think they had at one point like seven different hosts on at one point which was just insanity and it took them over an hour to go through their what did you watch last week list and it was like oh for god's sakes are you gonna get to anything on this episode (laughs) well i mean my whole thing is and and i think we talked about that after i listened to that show but it was just i'm like oh my god let's just get on with what we're here to get on with and i think that's one of the things that I really enjoy. Plus, the other thing is is that, to be honest, like not everyone is listening in real time. And what I mean by that is, is although we sometimes record our shows a week or two in advance, which is you know relatively recent, someone may pull up one of our shows and listen to it a year later, or a month later, or three years later. It's going to sound so stale and dated that there's really no there's no reason for us to do that. So that's why we opened the door to do this little show right here where uh, we're going to do that. There are a lot of times, too, where you're seeing something at a theater or just watching it for the first time. And it's like it takes a while for things to kind of, you know, bounce around in your skull a bit and come up with some good thoughts about it. I mean, that's one of the things I like about doing the show is that there's nothing that I've reviewed for the show where I haven't watched it probably two, three times, not including the original time that I watched it way back when. And then seeing all the different versions of stuff, reading the screenplay, reading the source novel, if I possibly can, all that kind of stuff really helps me be steeped much more in the film than going to see something on a Saturday afternoon and giving you my gut reaction the next day. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, you need to sit with it a little bit in order to realize what it is you're looking at. Because there have been times when I've walked out of a theater and go, oh my God, that was horrible. Only to go back and see it a few months later or when it came out on video and go, yeah, I really like that. And then there have been times I walked out and go, oh, that was great. And then I looked at it again and go, oh my God, that was terrible. What was I thinking that day? So um, <laughs> they they recently did this on Outside the Cinema where they had Steven Scarlatta, our friend who was, was on with us for the two Jodorowsky episodes that we did. And he was talking about uh, movie theater experiences and sort of like how seeing a film with an audience in a theater can sometimes be a good thing where you know the movie's not very good and if you watched it at home, 
you might not be impressed, but he remembered seeing, like, for example, like Caddyshack 2 in the theater and thought it was the most hilarious thing he ever saw. And then he rented it on VHS and saw it with his brother, and they, like, didn't laugh at all. So just the idea of, you know, certain experience when you see something can uh, kind of alter your perception of it. Oh, definitely. And then what you've been ingesting beforehand can also help alter perceptions. Yeah, which, uh, speaking of, uh, lately I've been on this, uh, doing these bits, probably, uh, you know, four or five minute little review segments for uh, the Weedsman Podcast. That's right, P-O-T, not P-O-D cast, although it is a podcast. It's basically three guys who sit around in the basement and uh, hit the bong and talk about uh, marijuana-related stuff and whatever happens to come into their heads that day. The guys who started it are friends of mine from Detroit. I was actually in a band with one of them, with the high school with one of them. And uh, they're fans of the projection booth and was asking if I would come in and do a review segment. And so I said, sure, you know, I'll do it, but I'm not going to review Half-Baked or Cheech and Chong movies or anything like that. Maybe the Corsican Brothers, but, um, you know, really what's the point? My idea over there with my segment called Rewind This and Just Smoke to It is um, the idea of getting people into film that is a little weird and different. And you'll hear some crossover. I mean, if if you bother to listen to The Weedsman and you listen to my segment, you'll hear some crossover between films that we've reviewed here or some connections to films that we've reviewed here uh, over the past several years that I've been on the show. But, you know, they're their own little thing and it's kind of fun. And uh, that's that's what I've been doing on Outside recently, and you've been busy as well, Outside, making some appearances. Yeah, I've been tramping around all over the place. I uh, was just over on Outside the Cinema. As we're recording this, I just wrapped a recording with the guys from uh, Movie Geeks United. Occasionally do some recordings with our friend Josh Hadley over at Radiodrome. He's going to have me on in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about all of the creep show films which apparently there are four even though one of them is not an official creep show film but people think of it uh that way huh. every month for the last couple of months possibly not this month i'm not sure i've been joining the folks over at geek juice and talking about uh different directors so i've been going alphabetically i've been on the um danny boyle Catherine Bigelow and Tim Burton, and I might be on the James Cameron episode. I'm not sure. James Cameron feels like a cheat to me since he's only done, you know, six movies. But uh, yeah, it, it might be fun to talk about him as well. He's only done six movies? I don't know. He's only done a few oh. Terminator, Terminator 2, The Abyss, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar. For some reason, he's one of those guys that seems so in your face all the time that you think he actually did more than he did, I guess. I don't I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. I think he only did that many. Huh. Interesting. And I pulled six out of a hat, so I'm surprised if that's actually the number. Oh, I'm sure they'll let us know in the comments section. on the set, Oh, so. Aliens, my favorite one. There Aliens. Go. There you go. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, of all the films that he directed, that's the one I go back to the most. The Abyss, I, I still have to laugh when... We talked to Chris Elliott, and he talked about his experience on The Abyss. And if you want to hear that, and you can listen to the Cabin Boy episode. or um, No, it wasn't Cabin Boy. Uh, we used the bit in um, Manhunter, where he talks about being in Manhunter and all these other like guest appearances that he would do. And the, the, the bit on The Abyss is pretty good, too, in terms of his, uh, his appearance in there. So if you're a James Cameron fan, you know. I want to check that out. But I mean, for me recently, um, here in the in the lovely high Rockies, and as I talk to you, the snow's coming down. So uh, the cars outside are 
got a little coating and the mountain looks beautiful. You know, it's just, it snows too early here for me. I mean, I do understand that, um, you know, people that move here, they move here for this. And if it wasn't for this, then the folks in California would really be in a severe drought, even worse than they already are. But um, I'm so used to it not snowing until Thanksgiving. I'm such a Detroit boy, I can't even help it. The beautiful folks here in Aspen, uh, the Aspen Film Festival was um, the end of September, early October. And uh, I volunteered with them, which was good, and uh, helped a little bit with the website. I, they, they asked me to do things like do their coding for schedules and stuff like that for the website. And uh, got to see some interesting stuff there. So um, a, a lot of it that is uh, coming your way very soon into the fall and into the Oscar season. So it's a couple of movies I thought I'd highlight and say, you know, keep these on your radar. They're probably worth your time. The first one I saw was this documentary called Meet the Patels. And uh, it's kind of an interesting little film. It's a um, documentary about a guy who is uh, first-generation Indian-American. And he's 29 when the film starts. And he just broke up with his girlfriend of about two years. And he's deciding what he's going to do. His folks want him to get married. And they want to have it traditional, you know, arranged marriage like his folks were. But he's not exactly sure if that's what he wants to do because obviously he was born and raised in America. So there's sort of this back and forth in terms of how does that whole thing work? What do you, you know, how do you actually arrange this? How do you figure this stuff out? And uh, it's quite a fascinating tale of, you know, uh, I, I guess sort of how people navigate their traditional culture and at the same time try to be American at the same time. So that one's definitely worth checking out. The film was directed by the guy who's in it and his sister. And she came to the film festival and talked about sort of like her own experience with this whole issue as well in terms of arranged marriages. I didn't realize that when you sort of sign up to do this, they basically send you like resumes. And there's like a whole sort of like brokerage kind of thing that's going on in terms of uh, you have various sites and people who sort of network this stuff together and then you get like a stack of resumes called biodata and you have to like go through and go okay well this is her age and this is what she does and this is where her family's from and and then you like go on dates based on that so it's it's kind of a kind of an interesting world that's called meet the patels they said that i think it's independent lens on pbs i think has picked it up so you may end up seeing it there before you end up seeing it in theaters. The other film that has received a lot of attention is uh, the new film with Bill Murray, St. Vincent. That one was the uh, sneak special here. Uh, they didn't advertise it. They just said, hey, we're showing this film. And then like day of, it's like, hey, it's this film. So I guess it had played at the New York Film Festival like the week before. And it was really like very special to have it here in Aspen. I think it was like the second or maybe the third place that it played in the United States at that point. I think that's coming out end of October, maybe into November. It's an interesting little film because of, I mean, not only Bill Murray, who, you know, is a lot of fun, but uh, Melissa McCarthy's in it. And basically what it is, is Bill Murray is sort of this cranky, crotchety neighbor who starts watching Melissa McCarthy's character's son. 
and basically becomes sort of this babysitter slash mentor to him because he doesn't have a dad or other adult male figure in his life and he sort of like takes him to the track and introduces him to you know all these different things and there's a really sort of interesting uh understanding that we get of of bill murray's character sort of why he is the way he is and uh, i thought it was really well done although one of the reviews online said that it's up as directed by wes anderson now i won't say it's that twee in terms of wes anderson but um i can see where somebody would write the tv guide synopsis saying that it's up meets wes anderson i didn't get what you meant when you said up meets wes anderson i thought it was somebody posted it up uh now, it's the Pixar film, although I'm sure that there are people who go, oh, the Russ Meyer film? <laughs> there you go. Those are the people I want to hang out with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like that. And then there are two, which is connected to the the recent special that we just put up with uh, the interview that I did with Jason Reitman. And those were uh, Men, Women, and Children and Whiplash. And uh, if you want to hear me sort of discuss with Jason Reitman, Men, Women, and Children, which should be out by the time – this hits you, hits your ears. Download that as well and listen to that. It's a pretty good interview. And, you know, I only had maybe about 15, 20 minutes to talk to him. Otherwise, I would have really liked to have spent some more time with him on some various topics. But overall, I think Men, Women, and Children is really good. And I think you get a great performance out of um, Adam Sandler. Probably his best performance in a dramatic role outside of Punch Drunk Love. Although, in a way, Punch Drunk Love, he is sort of riffing on his own characterization if you know what i mean where sandler has that thing in those broad comedies in the 90s and the early 2000s where he would just kind of get angry and his tone of voice and everything and in punch drunk love he really plays on that but in this i mean we really get the feeling of 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 growth and i and i think it's really nice to see it and it'll be interesting to see if he moves forward with it i mean i saw funny people I think that's what it's called, isn't it? The Judd Apatow. Yeah. And although that wasn't, it, it didn't work in a lot of ways for me. Although I do love the use of Warren Zevon in there because I'm a huge Warren Zevon fan. There are parts where I think he was doing well in there, and, but in this, it's it's much much better. The the film's more coherent. It's just a great film in many ways and gives us a lot to think about in terms of technology, the internet, and sort of how it how it's redefining and shaping our our relationships with each other. And then the second film related to Jason Reitman, and I do talk to him on the interview uh, about this as well, is uh, the movie Whiplash, which I believe won Sundance and has been getting some good acclaim for uh, J.K. Simmons, who, you know, if you're watch TV or you've seen Jason Reitman films or whatever, you know who he is. Uh, Jonah Jameson, obviously, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. The movie's great. And it was one of those that when I walked out, I was kind of shaken by it because there are certain aspects of the character that he plays that um, reminded me of a former boss that I had much too closely to uh, to any memory that I ever wanted. So I would say that uh, Whiplash is going to be one you're going to hear about, I think, uh, heading into uh, award season. Now, that is not about girls that go around the track on roller skates, is it? It's about a guy who is a, um, a student at a conservatory working to become a great jazz drummer. And he is he gets into this band, which is like the top band at the school. And that band is led by J.K. Simmons' character. And basically all sorts of emotional, mental, physical abuse and manipulation and sort of how they, you know – how this character is driven to 
be a great musician and at the same time dealing with this uh, very erratic person at the same time. So it's, um, like I said, if you've ever had a really, really horrible boss, I think uh, you may come to understand it. I, I think, as I was talking to someone about it, I think probably the closest, although it was played much more for comedy uh, in film that I've seen a horrible boss portrayed this way, was uh, Kevin Spacey in Swimming with Sharks. It's that kind of level of abuse, although that, I think, is much more uh, funny than how Whiplash is played. Step into my office. Why? Because you're fucking fired. So you have a festival coming up. I do have a festival coming up, though I, I have been tending to call it a conference. It is NoirCon happening down in Philadelphia at the end of October and beginning of November, taking place over Halloween weekend. So this should be interesting. I don't think they're going to be doing anything for Halloween, but I believe that the Day of the Dead will be celebrated since this is a very dark crowd. Uh, a lot of folks that have been on the show are going to be down there, and a lot of folks that are coming up on the show will also be down there. We are going to be celebrating noir throughout November, and so we will be uh, talking to some folks down there, Dwayne Swarzynski and Jared Case and J.A. Gertzman. They will be at the show, at the conference, and also on the show. And then we have Rich Edwards, who was on a few years ago when we did Shoot the Piano Player, and that was actually recorded at NoirCon 2012. So, yeah, it'll be great. And then Krista Faust, who we've had on before, Ed Pettit, who we've had on many times before. So it'll be uh, some familiar uh, faces and voices for me, and always a good time hanging out with these writers who love to uh, tell some great stories drink copious amounts of alcohol and swear like sailors so i am uh, definitely on board for that and they're going to be doing some movie related stuff this year they had shown as we talked about on the blast of silence episode uh with howard rodman who will also be there talked about um how they show blast of silence at uh NoirCon. I think four years ago this year, Eddie Muller is going to be there and he's going to be showing the prowler. And I want to say that they're going to be doing a screening of get Carter also. So it's kind of a nice mix of not just talks about books or different um, writers, but there's also a lot of discussion of uh, films noir and um, just pretty much pop culture in general and how it's affected by noir. It should be a blast blast of silence. Your hands are hot, kid. The one thing that I also really like about our show, see, since this is the ego show, is that in the past week, we have had two different specials that have popped up in our feed. And one I talked about already is Jason Reitman, and the other is Candida Royale. So I think there's very few shows that can give you that kind of depth and range. I mean, here you go. you got a guy who is doing really interesting, I guess we could say studio slash independent film and a legend of, you know, the golden age of adult film and her own productions into the eighties. So that's the kind of thing that attracted me to this show originally and why I'm, uh, I'm glad you haven't booted me off the Island yet, sir. No plans on that, sir. So you're uh, a pleasure to work with. Yeah, and we've got a couple other uh, specials that are still being worked on that will be out. I'm not sure why we're releasing all this great stuff in October. Maybe it's because we don't do like Halloween specials like crazy, but we want to uh, kind of get on 
the the fun of October for all of our listeners. But we've got a special with uh, Tom McLaughlin and Joseph Madry. Joe was on our visitor episode, and he also had his own episode talking about Not Bad for a Human, the biography of, or autobiography-ish, of Lance Henriksen. He did the same thing with Tom McLaughlin. And then also an interview with Vincent Bugliosi, who most people will know as the guy who put Charles Manson away. He has a new film called The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder. Um, actually, that was the name of the book. The name of the film is just The Prosecution of George W. Bush. Talked to him a few weeks ago, and I look forward to putting that thing out there because he was an absolutely fascinating person to talk to. Not only do we have this EgoFest special that's going up, but we have another super secret special episode that no. will be hitting. What? Don't tell them. I won't tell them. Okay. All right. I will just say it's super special and secret. Okay. Well, that's, go ahead and say the title. The title of the episode? Yes. What are we covering? Really? You want me to say that? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. We're going to be covering. You think we were going to give it to you that easy. You just have to wait till it shows up in your feed. But believe me, you're going to want it. It's a very popular film this time of year. My question to you on Mr. Bugliosi is, um, since we're talking uh, Helter Skelter, did you find out that when he gets to the bottom, does he go back to the top of the slide? I did not. I, that was one <laughs> of the few questions. Actually, he kind of got off the phone a little earlier than I would have liked. Uh-huh. We also got on the phone a little bit later than I would have liked, uh-huh. but it was uh, a great discussion anyway. I think my favorite question, though, was right towards the end when I asked him who he has enjoyed being portrayed by because he's <laughs> been portrayed in four different films. Yeah. And he was unable to answer that. Unfortunately, he wouldn't put his wife on the phone because I wanted to ask her the same question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, you don't want to make any enemies when you have people portraying you, you know? No. Well, he could have said, well, I think Bruno Kirby was the worst. Because <laughs> <laughs> Bruno Kirby's not with us anymore. Exactly. That would be, you know, that would have been the diplomatic answer, I guess. Or he could have said he was the best. See, Richard Crenna, that's what you have to live up to. There you go. All right, so burying the lead, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Orbit fundraiser that you have coming up. Oh, yes. Uh, see, I'm, as, as people know, from my. You are too proud to beg, sweet darling. <laughs> I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. No, um, the, the, the fundraiser. For, for those who don't know uh, me outside of the show, I have been working on a book, and I don't think I've really talked about it on the show except once. You talked about it on the episode, uh, Reservoir Dogs episode, with, I think, think and we had paul zimmerman on and that was because paul who's on the show uh talks a little bit about the connection between orbit and tarantino and paul was one of the first to kind of understand the the genius that was uh, reservoir dogs when he first saw it in 1992 at the uh, toronto film festival the orbit book is something i've been working on for about three and a half years it comes out next fall but there is a fundraising element that I have to do. And I know there's a lot of people out there who do Kickstarters either for their shows or their projects or films or whatever. And I haven't really brought it up because I don't necessarily find that it's the place to kind of bring it up on the show. But uh, EgoFest does allow us to talk about our projects that we're doing. And the thing is, is Wayne State University Press, which is um, University Press out of Detroit, and they signed up to put out this book. And what it is is there's three different magazines that I trace in the book. 
starts in 1977-78 with the Detroit punk scene in White Noise magazine, which is sort of Detroit's equivalent of L.A. Slash or punk out of New York at the time. It covered the local punk rock scene, and then also when uh, bands would come into town, they would write of them or interview with them, such as the Ramones, Devo, um, a lot of Cleveland and Ohio stuff in there, as I said, with Devo, because you know Detroit was so close and is so close to um, – to Cleveland geographically, the continental plates didn't shift. No, they didn't. They didn't <laughs> shift yet. You know, Perubu, uh, the Dead Boys, that whole the, the Cramps, that whole scene, and then also uh, just a lot of great coverage on Detroit bands and and the Detroit punk scene, circa seventy eight to eighty. Then the the crew that had created White Noise and specifically um, Jerry Peterson, who's also known as Jerry Vile, who went on to. Um, currently does the Dirty Show every February, an international erotic art exhibition in Detroit. Started a magazine in 1986 called Fun, which Fun was nothing more than uh, cartoons and humor and really wasn't a lot of actionable information in there. But the cool thing about Fun was that it was sort of groundbreaking because from my research, it was the first free humor magazine in America. It predates The Onion by two years. And it's also a place where you see a crossover with a good friend of ours, Mr. Chris Gore. And Chris had just been uh, starting up the presses on Film Threat at the time. And in the first year of fun from 86 to 87, he did um, film reviews for fun magazine and also was one of the editors. So, and there's like a pretty interesting story with him that I had an interview about how, you know, the early days of film thread and also working at fun and things like that. And then in 1990 fun sort of mutated into a more actionable and sort of straightforward magazine, at least for a while called Orbit. And I grew up reading Orbit because that was around from 90 to 99. So it was a very important part of my high school years. And in there, I mean, they had a food reviewer, film reviewer, music, um, interviews with bands, things like that. Um, It was basically sort of an alt-weekly, but without the politics, like most alt-weeklies sort of live in the... um, you know, liberal left-wing um, advocation, you know, advocacy journalism um, world, and Fun decided that it wasn't going to be. I mean, Orbit decided it wasn't going to be political. It was just going to be entertainment and things like that. But there were things in there if if you were so inclined that you could sort of find them um, having fun at the expense of, you know certain political people, certain people in Detroit culture, things like that. Uh, You also see early uh, write-ups, reviews, interviews, features on people like Kid Rock, ICP, Jack White, um, Techno, all kinds of different things that are in there that was in Detroit culture before it got huge and internationally known. So there's a lot of really great stuff in these magazines. And what the book will be is reprints of key articles and sort of telling this history, which I say is about 35 years, if you include Dirty Show and then Jerry's recent foray into street art over the past couple of years as Detroit was dealing with bankruptcy. Um, About 35 years of Detroit arts and culture and the people that went through there and Sort of how they were influenced and what it, what they influenced. So it's uh, it's going to be quite a book. Like I said, I've spent the last three years, three and a half years working on it. So what we're asking you to do is, if you go to projection-booth.com, when this shows up, and up until I think right before Thanksgiving, basically I'm just giving myself 30 days. 
is um, trying to raise about $17,000 in order to help offset the costs to my nonprofit publisher, which is nice because, you know, you give it a Kickstarter or something like that, something you really like. You usually give because you're going to get something. I'm going to get a shirt. I'm going to get the movie. I'm going to get the book, you know, whatever. But with this, not only do you get stuff, but you also get tax credit. I guess if you're listening in Australia or something, you might not get it. But here in the States, at least, if you're a good tax-paying red, white, and blue, you know, American um, (laughs) taxpayer, uh, you'll get yourself a little uh, tax credit for your uh, year of end end of your taxes. So um, if you can go over there and say maybe 60 bucks would work for you at that level, you can get the book in advance and you'll get a tax credit. If if you want to give a little more, that's great. If you want to give a little less, that's fine too. Uh, if you want to support it, I appreciate everyone's support for this project. It's really been a, a great labor of love, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's all going to come together. To give you an idea, this $17,000 will help offset almost $80,000 that my publisher is paying in order to do this book. It's going to be big coffee table book, full color, and uh, it's really going to be something. So it's... Very exciting. Now, what if I wanted to give you $200? What would I get in return? For 200 bucks, we can get you a book, and we can get you a T-shirt like Mr. Tarantino wore in Pulp Fiction. Or for an extra 50 bucks for 250 not only will you get the book, but uh, you could meet our uh, food reviewers for Orbit. And they're going to do a special sort of uh, wine tasting or you can go have drinks and there's various other things. We're going to have a whole array of various ways that we can say thank you. Um, If you're more generous and say you've got a little money to spend, uh, for $20,000, I will give you – I'm looking at it right now – my original Niagara. It's a beautiful painting, one of a kind. I think at $20,000, it's definitely worth it. You just go to projection-booth.com. You click on the link. You go to the site and you'll see – all the different ways that uh, we can say thank you. Now, you had mentioned that I get a tax credit because I'm an American. Yeah. Can folks in other countries give as well? Yeah, folks in other countries can give. I just don't know if they can get the tax write-off. So All right. there are some cool things that we have. Like I said, there's the book, there's T-shirts, there's uh, original art. There is Paul Zimmerman, who was on our Reservoir Dog show, and he talked about his his books that he was doing. Those are going to be available. Uh, there's There's lots of ways that we can do stuff and it, it's very exciting like i said just just go check out the list like i said anyone wants to give that's cool i mean we are very much on this show we've never i don't think we've ever really asked anyone for for money i mean we say hey you know you can donate through paypal or right. you know please go over to itunes and stitcher or wherever you listen to us and review us and hey you know share us you know through your social media channels and tell people about us you know, or, you know, fill out this form and vote us up the list for podcast of the month or whatever. But, you know, we don't really do that. You know, we don't really ask for uh, for a lot here. And I like that about what we do. At the same time, this is kind of important to me. And um, you'll be helping me out, not the show specifically. But, uh, you know, if, if you have an interest, I say thank you. So you have uh, some stuff coming up here in terms of uh, another book. Yeah, I've got another book coming out. They are just waiting for me for the back cover copy, that little blurb. You know, it's 50 words, and I'm having a hard time with it. So (laughs) the rest of it was easy, but this one, I always hate writing the little marketing copy that goes on the back of the book. But yeah, this is going to be... 
even with our fan base, I'm not sure how many folks are going to remember this TV show called Mad Movies from 1984-85, and it played on Nickelodeon and MTV, and it was a group called the LA Connection, and they would go through and replace the dialogue on different films, uh, cut them down to about 17 minutes, and it played syndicated television for a lot of years. And then they also did some movies. They did one called Blobbermouth, where they replaced all the dialogue in The Blob with Steve McQueen and put an uh, animated mouth on The Blob, who uh, does these really terrible Henny Youngman one-liners. And they did a couple other different movie projects here and there, and I talk about those, and I talk about um, the kind of history of mock dubbing and how uh, it has kind of gone around the world. The French were doing it uh, with the film Can Dialectics Break Bricks? But I concentrate mostly on the L.A. Connection. The name of the book is going to be called Mad Movies with the L.A. Connection, and as soon as it goes out there, I'm sure that I will be posting about it. But yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I think it, it was a fun show when I used to watch it as a teenager, and it actually held up, and I was very honored to be asked to write this book. That's very cool. So who's putting that out, and when do they expect it? That is Bear Manor Media, and I'm not sure when it's going to be out. I'm hoping in time for Christmas, because I believe it would make a lovely Christmas gift for all those people that you love in your life. Christmas, Kwanzaa, whatever holiday that you celebrate, it's great for you. It sounds like it. Unfortunately, it will not be available as an audiobook. Otherwise, I would say that people could go over to audibletrial.com slash projection booth and sign up and get a free copy of it because we have started doing promotional stuff with audible.com. I'm waiting for a friend of the show who said that he would record a promo for us, uh, but he's been a little bit busy with a new baby um, recently. Otherwise, we would be playing that promo on this episode and uh, letting people know that they can go over and get a free book and sign it when they sign up for audible through that link, uh, which I will also make available through projection dash booth.com. And yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. I am an audible member. I think it costs like 15 bucks a month and every month I get a new book, new audio book. And I'm a big fan of listening to those on the way back and forth to work. Audiobooks are good. Almost as good as the projection booth. Almost. But not quite. And the projection booth is free. Few things in life are. Speaking about um, free stuff and shows that are coming up, that there's one that I'm kind of excited about. I'm not going to talk about this on the episode because it really has nothing to do with the episode. But I thought that I would tell this story because it's kind of fun. And um, it will kind of uh, let you know at times kind of how uh, how we find people. And I know that we'll talk about this i think this is a question that's coming up and we'll get to your questions in a little bit uh, i want to thank everyone who called in or sent a voicemail or um, emailed us questions and one of the ways in which uh, we've found people for the show at least i have in terms of guest co-hosts and then also um, interviews is just through contact just through you know just stumbling and meeting people and last january i was at the hotel jerome here in Aspen, and they have a great place called the J Bar, which is the old bar that's been there. And this, to kind of give you an idea of what the place is like, it's been around since the late 1800s, back when Aspen was a was a silver mining town. 
And uh, a friend of mine in town, we went to the J-Bar, and I met her there and sat down at the bar and didn't happen to realize just who I was sitting next to. I had a book with me. This person also had a book with him. And the person I was with kind of looks over at me and points and goes, eh, who I think it is? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked. So trying not to like just completely turn around and like stare at someone next to me who just happened to be sitting at the bar um, kind of, you know – Worked my way around and said, yeah, I, I think that is who you think it is. And then started a conversation because, as I said, we both had books with us. I was reading The Devils of Ludon at the time because I was trying to prepare for our Devils episode. You know, and me being a notoriously slow reader was going to take me probably a good six months. But um, the person that I met at the bar was Luke Wilson. And Luke was just a great guy to meet, really nice. You know, we talked about these books we were reading, and he said that um, his friends often kid him because whenever he goes out, he, you know, usually has a book with him in case he gets bored. And I go, yeah, it kind of sounds like me. I usually end up carrying a book or my, um, my notebook with me, and I'm writing notes in my journal. So, uh, just had a really nice conversation, and I gave him our, um, we had these magnets made uh, projection booth sort of fridge magnets that look like business cards and i said you know this is what i do and this is my thing and i got this film show and would love to have you on and he goes oh sure so he gave me a cell number and he goes feel free to text me and basically after texting back and forth like every couple of weeks or a month or so um was able to line him up for interview so he is on our idiocracy episode that's coming up in december very excited to have him on the show and we talk about his early days with Wes Anderson and how all three of his brothers, him and his two other brothers, are all actors and they've all worked together over the years and and things like that. And, of course, talk about idiocracy and, and some other stuff. So um, it's just kind of interesting. You know, you just kind of stumble upon people sometimes and, and they can be very gracious and, you know, very cool to come on the show. So I'm – like I said, I'm looking forward to that episode because idiocracy to me is – is one of those films that, uh, much like how Office Space was, when it came out in theaters, the studio didn't really know what to do with it, but it kind of took off when it got on video. And I, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, December is going to be a huge month. I had mentioned November Noir, and December is, you know, usually Rob and I go back and forth when it comes to picking the films, but I will admit that I am a little bit of a glutton sometimes. I... I tend to schedule out a whole bunch of stuff all at once and i was feeling very guilty and i'm like rob just take all of december just take it all you know you got five weeks in there just take everything i i feel really bad for always being the one who's making you know planning out stuff and and doing this so the five films in december that rob picked i think are just going to be fantastic it's hamburger the motion picture and we've got the director of that and possibly one of the stars possibly. question mark yeah i'm still working that angle yeah sadly i got turned down by another actor but whatever Idiocracy with star of the show, Luke Wilson. I've got letters out to Mike Judge, email out to Terry Crews. Oh, I just uh, emailed Deck Shepard's person, was told to try again in November, so maybe we'll have more than Luke Wilson. But I have to say, getting Luke Wilson is a pretty big get, and I am really excited that we're going to be able to bring that to folks. Death to Smoochie, which we have. It will be the last recorded interview from Robin Williams. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, he after he talked to us, um, he felt so bad 
about the interview. No, I'm just kidding. That's a horrible, that's a horrible joke. Anyway, um, no. So yeah, Death to Smoochie with uh, Adam Resnick comes back, who I talked about uh, the Cabin Boy episode. It was great having him on there. And we've got Danny Woodburn, who is also in the film. Terrific actor. I've loved him and everything that I've seen him in, so I'm excited to have that. I've got a letter out to Danny DeVito. Like Physically writing letters in 2014 is kind of crazy, but yeah, got a letter out to him. We'll see if Danny comes on the show. Doubtful, but it might happen. Then we've got The Ice Harvest with the writer of the book of The Ice Harvest, Scott Phillips, who I will see at NoirCon in a few weeks. And we'll be reminding him, hey, don't forget that you agreed to be on the show. And then the final episode of 2014, super exciting, Batman Returns. And that one has been turning into quite an elaborate episode. We're going to be speaking to Sam Hamm, the writer of the original Batman, who wrote the first draft of the Batman Returns script, talking to Daniel Waters, who we spoke to on our Adventures of Ford Fairlane episode. He is always a joy to talk to and has some great behind-the-scenes stories about Batman Returns, and also a expert on the Batman films, and actually possibly two experts on the Batman films. There's one person I'm reaching out to this week who just wrote a book about Tim Burton's movies, so possibly two people that are uh, very versed in the Batman Tim Burton universe. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, this is fantastic. It's leading all the way up to our 200th episode on January 7th, which is Once Upon a Time in the West, which hopefully will be as epic as the film is. And we'll see if that lives up to it. Speaking of Batman, um, and I don't think we planned this in any particular way, is uh, this year leading into the new year is the 75th anniversary of the detective. So um, 75 years ago this year. So a little tie in there. And matter of fact, I just bought a huge uh, amount of Batman stamps at the post office. So if uh, you're getting Christmas cards from me, you may receive a Christmas card with a Batman stamp. I had only ever borrowed The Dark Knight Returns, and I finally bought my own copy of The Dark Knight Returns, also uh, Batman Year One, because I want to kind of refresh myself on those graphic novels. Um, So yeah, that should be pretty cool, because I think that there's definitely some influence that Miller had on the films, but we'll be talking about that on the episode when it comes up. Definitely the first film, the first Batman film, it owes a lot to Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. So if you haven't read that one, it's a single issue, and that's the one to check out, because there are certain parallels. I am very familiar with it, but I look forward to rereading it. There you go. Um, So speaking of... Our friends doing things, because we're not just all about ourselves on this uh, Ego Fest show, although it might seem like that. Our friends um, who are friends of the show and good friends of ours personally have some uh, have some projects that are coming out that you should be aware of. Yeah, you know, Andrew Leovold, who we talked to on the For Your Height Only episode, he has a documentary, The Search for Wang Wang, which we have talked about. I'm not sure if we talked about that here. I know we definitely talked about it on Outside the Cinema, which is a fan-fucking-tastic film that definitely people need to see. It has played in the States now a couple times. It was over at the Cine Family in 
Los Angeles played a sold out show there. It has played at Fantasia up in Montreal. So it is, has had its North American premiere, but Andrew's looking to get it around to some more theaters coming up here, I believe in December and January. And, you know, because there's no place that an Australian would rather be than in the United States, the Northern Hemisphere in January and December. So glutton. he's a little crazy, that guy. Glutton, yeah, glutton yeah. for punishment. But when you have that deep of a love for Wang Wang, the uh, world's shortest leading man, um, you will do extreme things. And he definitely is up for doing extreme things. So look out for that. As we find more places that this is going to be playing, we'll, we will continue to tout them over at the Projection Booth Facebook page and maybe even over on the website, projection-booth.com. So it uh, is definitely one that you're going to want to check out. Going back to another past episode, we did a episode called The Revenge of VHS. We've done two episodes talking about VHS tapes, and on the second one, we spoke to Noel Meller. He was our co-host on that, and he does a podcast called The Adventures in VHS Podcast, and he has a book that is going to be coming out. He spoke a little bit about it on the show and is now available for folks to pre-order in a way. He's also doing a little bit of a fundraiser thing, so you have to go over and kind of give to get kind of things so just head on over to adventuresinvhs.com it takes you right there to the fundraiser thing but if you donate a minimum amount of money you get a copy of the book so it's like you're buying it in advance so kind of what you're doing rob uh but this time it's uh for a different book it's not about orbit which is good because that would be really weird if two books about orbit were coming out at the same time and especially from a brit so i mean there was a a UK edition of Orbit for a couple of years based out of Oxford, but uh, no. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to compete with anyone for that amount of Detroit culture. Thank you very much. Also on that Revenge of VHS episode, and also this guy's been on a bunch of other episodes, including one a about the Italian connection was our friend Mike Malloy and his movie Euro Crime, the Italian cop and gangster films that ruled the 70s. That is available now on DVD. You can order it over at Amazon through Diabolic DVD, wherever better DVDs are sold, which is absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. I just got my package yesterday with that DVD inside, so I'm really looking forward to seeing it again and seeing the extras that he has on here. So that is pretty cool. And then also our friend Skiz Sizik, he's been on a bunch of episodes. His movie, Hit and Stay, that he co-directed with Joe Tropea, who was on the Hit and Stay episode. That movie is now available on DVD, also available through Amazon, but he would prefer if you bought it through AtomicBooks.com and support an independent bookstore in Baltimore, one of my favorite places to go when I'm in Baltimore, and believe it or not, I get to Baltimore quite a bit. Charm City. The city that reads. <laughs> there you go. See, that's rare. All right, we got anything uh, you want to give away? Some free stuff? I did this on the uh, Caligula episode where I said, yeah, you know, I just happened to mention it in passing. I was like, hey, you know, you want to, you want this copy of uh, Caligula on Blu-ray? I don't know, just tweet at me or something. I'll send it to you. So 
basically within less than 24 hours, I got uh, it was a flood of responses from people and ended up sending that off. So it was nice, you know. And what I thought is because I moved from having a house to a, a relatively uh, small apartment and I have a lot of great stuff, but I don't want to like send it to the um, – to the thrift store, although I just found an Ernst Lubitsch film on Blu-ray, uh, Criterion Edition, at the thrift store for two bucks. So maybe there are people in my wheelhouse around here. But um, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I have some some great stuff here that um, I could give away. So I was thinking that what would be cool is if people shared these episodes through Facebook and through Twitter, let people know about it. It doesn't have to be the ego episode. But I would say basically between now and um, so if this goes out uh, late October, maybe uh, right before Thanksgiving. How about that? And what we'll do is I'll take down the name of people you know who share from the projection booth Facebook page, or make sure that you include us as a at on Twitter, at ProBoothCast, and I'll take those names down, and then I'll look around and figure out uh, what groovy stuff I can send you. So I'll, you know, I'm, if, I'm sure that there may be dozens, maybe hundreds of people that'll do this, and what I'll have to do is just pull them out of a hat and then go, here's the list of stuff, let me know what you want, and then I'll, you know. I'll foot the bill for the postage as long as it's not, if if it's overseas then I might have to ask you to you know throw me 5 bucks US or something but if you're if you're in the states I think I can do that for you. Yeah, postage these days overseas is very prohibitive. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So I'm looking at the possibility of weeding out certain parts of my DVD collection, my Blu-ray collection and my film books. There may be some good stuff in there, but uh, you won't know until I tell you and all that fun stuff. But just like I said, uh, share episodes from our page. So if the new episode is up, hit that little share button, share it with your friends, and we'll we'll take note of that. And then also on Twitter, make sure you put at ProBoothCast. And um, I don't know, maybe make the cutoff what you think, like uh, November 15th. Does that sound good? Yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah. So November 15th. So you got till the middle of November to do this. We'll just keep a tally, and then we'll be in touch. Could be a fun little thing for your uh, holiday coming up. So let's go ahead and uh, take a break here and play a couple promos. And we'll be back with uh, some of your voicemails and emails, which we will try to answer as best we possibly can. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at Adam and Eve 
Weedsmanagement.com. Christopher Media, the Weedsman Podcast. All right, man. It's time. It's time. Are we ready for the list? The list. So we all made this list earlier. We sat around. Maybe got, maybe got a little too high. But you know this list. We, we did get too high because we only made half the list. <laughs> the Weedsman Podcast every Friday on iTunes and ChristopherMedia.net. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Hi, this is Andrew from We Hate Movies, and you're listening to the Projection Booth. If you feel like laughing after listening to some serious film discussion, head on over to our show, whmpodcast.com. Every Tuesday, a new episode drops, us ragging on bad movies, whereas the good folks here at the Projection Booth are talking about good, hearty, cinema-related stuff. Go here for the cinema. Come to us for the laughs afterwards. We hate movies every Tuesday. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm waste. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios! It's Ego Fest Part Two. If you haven't listened to Ego Fest Part One, it's probably pretty dated by now. So um, very dated. But if you know, <laughs> if you have a love of nostalgia, uh, feel free to go back and listen to that one. This is the listener questions. So if you send in an email, and I think we're going to kind of patch them back and forth here, Mike. I don't think we're going to, you know, load in all the questions that people send in by uh, phone or by email first. 
we should kind of just go back and forth. So let's start with one of the phone-in questions, and then we'll do one of the written questions. Let's go to our friend Mike Sullivan, who was on – he was on Cabin Boy episode, wasn't he? Yeah, he was on Cabin Boy, and he also said when you did one of those top and bottom least love shows list, most love shows, that uh, he was at uh, the bottom of the yes. – Yes. Chicken Park, in case you're interested. Chicken Park holds the record for the least number of downloads. Yeah, only um, Mike's mom and my mom downloaded that. Not even Mike Sullivan downloaded that episode. So it really only has like two lessons. Hey, guys. This is Mike Sullivan here, and I want to congratulate you on two years of Egos. You did it. Two years of Egos. Uh, this is I, – I, did I mention my name? I can't remember. I, I, but if I didn't, it was, it was Mike Sullivan. This is uh, the band um, sometimes guest – um, and, uh, when I did the, uh, cabin boy episode, I just want to say I, I was sick when I did it. I had a cold, so I kept coughing. I know you guys told me, uh, before to like, uh, when someone was talking, try not to talk. And I know I, I coughed a few times and, and like, sometimes like when Rob would talk, I'd get excited and I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, you could probably hear that. I know you guys tried to, you know, like sort of pod that down or whatever and, you know, you could still hear me like in the background there and you told me not to talk and I'm sorry about that. And I never apologized, but, uh, I just wanted to call in just one to get on another episode and to hear my voice because, you know, it's not just about your egos. It's about my ego too. And, uh, again, I just want to congratulate you on two years of egos. And this is one big blue marble that we're all part of. And that's just what things are. And, uh, God damn it, this got rambly. Ah, shit. All right. Ah, all right. I'll figure out, bye. So, yeah, in a word, Mike, uh, no, you are not banned from the projection booth. We would love to have you back on an episode. I'm not sure which one, but, uh, yeah, you're more than welcome to come back, buddy. Um, no hard feelings about that chicken park thing. <laughs> you know, the part of the issue is, and I feel really bad about this, is that we plan these shows so far in advance, and we have so many good friends that we would love to have on. Now, for example, one lady that I, I would love, absolutely love to have back on is um, is uh, Mistress uh, – Fraulein Von B. Yes, that's right. I, see, th- such a good friend. I can't remember her name, but anyway. Because we had such a great time talking on Solo and then, of course, our um, Singapore Sling episode. And it just seems like sometimes it takes forever. Now, for example, uh, Yaniv Edelstein is going to be back on with us. And he was with us for uh, Big Gus, What's the Fuss? and originally American Hippie in Israel. It's almost like a year and a half for him to get back on because we plan these things so far in advance. So he's like, oh, great. You know, like we sent him the invite. I think it's like June or something of next year. And he's like, oh, great. I'm going to be on in June of next year. Thank you. You know, I'll, I'll plan it 18 months in advance. But that's kind of what happened. So it's, you know, it's nothing against you, Mr. Sullivan. It's just kind of the way things work. You know, if we were doing two a week, I'm sure our quality would suffer, but we um, we would have more availability to have people on. So what you should be happy about is that if you are on, you know you're going to be on a good episode. You know we're going to do our best in order to uh, put out such a great episode. And, um, you know, also you don't have to deal with us more than once a year, which, you know, is kind of like dealing with the tax man at times, I guess. Just for the record, Yaniv will be back for episode 211, which is a message from the future. I'm not going to try to pronounce the uh, Hebrew title for that. And that will be airing 
March 25th, 2015. And also for the record, Fraulein Von B will be back, and she's coming back for a double feature episode that we're going to be doing in April. Actually, speaking of the tax man, it is April 15th, 2015, and that is a double feature of The Baby and Bad Boy Bubby. And we're hoping to get an adult baby, perhaps one of her clients, to be on the show with us. We cover it all, and we get all kinds of folks. So recently we had uh, Grace Smith on for our Working Girls episode, and she is indeed a working girl. We had our good friend Juniper on for Myra Breckenridge and talked about her experience being a trans woman. So, I mean, we have all kinds of things going on. We're always interested in sort of pushing the boundaries and learning about things related to these films. It's not just us kind of going, hey, wasn't that a great film? Well, it is a great film, but it's interesting to sort of learn people's perspectives based on sort of where they sit in that place. So uh, speaking of, you know, people that seem to like the show, Mike, I want to read this one from our good friend uh, Juho in Finland. He says, hi, guys. Projection Booth listener here from Finland. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now and enjoying very much this kind of movie podcast I've been searching for for a long time. I love how comprehensive your episodes are and how you also have interviews with people who have been involved with the movies that you're discussing about. Uh, I'd like to know how much time it takes with all the planning and preparations for one episode. Keep on doing the excellent show, guys. So uh, do do you want to start this one off, and then we can kind of go back and forth? The question is, how much time does it take to prepare an episode? Sometimes it takes months. I like to plan ahead. I'm very OCD. People who listen to the show probably know that or have figured it out by now. I mean, we are planned out until June of next year, um, and at the time of the recording, that's six months ahead, seven months ahead. So... um, no, that's that's more like eight or ten. Jeez, math is not my strong suit. So, I uh, yeah, I like to prepare, and one of the reasons is just trying to fit people's schedules in, especially when it comes to some of the. Um, I hate the word celebrity, but some of the folks that we have that are coming on the show, sometimes those people are really tough to get. Uh, like we're going to be doing an episode on altered states next year. And that is, um, April 29th. And for that, uh, we are supposed to get Bob Balaban. I was supposed to record an interview with him a few weeks ago. That didn't work out. And so now it's kind of like a, you know, chasing him a little bit, but he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's producing all these shows in New York and he's doing all this kind of stuff. So I really want to be able to have that amount of time to be able to chase this person and get the interview rather than just talk about the interviews that we didn't get for the particular shows. And that also gives me time to, you know, possibly track down Blair Brown, uh, possibly talk to Charles Hayde pretty soon. So there's all of that idea of who could we get and then giving us enough time to try to work them in and work through the publicists and all the other folks that we have to work through sometimes to get to these people. And then also there's the whole amount of time, you know, I was talking earlier about reading the books, reading the screenplays, finding the screenplays, finding the books, finding all the different versions of the movies, uh, finding films that are related to these particular films. Like when we did Sorcerer, you know, everybody knows Wages of Fear, but not a lot of people knew The Violent road and finding that movie was a little bit of a challenge but you know we're game for it and then just setting aside all of the time in the world to um gosh go out there and watch what how many versions of manhunter and the devils and stuff did we watch yeah 
I think that a good way to think about it is is that if it's a standard film, meaning that we only have one film to watch and we have one interview with one person and it's either just Mike and I or Mike and I and a special guest host, that's just a simple show. But that simple show can take, okay, so the movie's two hours to watch. The interview with that person might be an hour. You've got to cut it and edit it. Maybe you get 45 minutes or 40 minutes worth of stuff. And then we'll record maybe an hour and a half of us talking. And then we got to cut that down because you don't want to hear us go, hey, uh, bleh, you know, burping and um, 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 what the, what's that guy's name? Uh, go look that up. Okay. Uh, look it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was so-and-so. Um, so you, you don't hear all of that stuff. So between the actual viewing of the film and, and say there's no books, it's just one film, one interview, one sort of wraparound of the show, editing all that together and then sweetening it, you know, putting the music on the front end, putting the spots in there. I think it's probably 10 hours in order to yeah. do one episode. You know, you figure a two-hour episode, it probably takes us 10 hours between watching, recording, editing, doing the interview. It's probably that. Something like uh, Caligula or The Devils or the Blade Runner episode we did or the First Blood episode we did or or any of that stuff, it just gets more complicated. So, you know, the more interviews you have, the more um, the more different versions of the film you have to watch. And then it also depends on how sort of how, how we want to creatively lay out the show. For example, if you go back and listen to the Magnificent Amberson show, Mike did a really nice job. You did a really nice job with Thank you. Um, weaving in all of this stuff. So instead of just taking, okay, here's a half-hour interview, and then here's another half-hour interview, and then here's another half-hour interview, you really kind of like weaved it all the way through, and you had all this stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. How long did it take you to put Ambersons together? Between going up to the University of Michigan and um, looking through the archives there and all that kind of stuff, I mean, and then there was, um, you know, this kind of dead period in between and stuff. I mean, you could say that wasn't a year in the making, but really, like, the actual work of it was probably, including all the books and stuff that I read on it, was probably a month of solid, you know, beginning on December 1st and ending on December 31st, the entire way through was probably, you could consider that work on that episode just because it was so much reading, so many documentaries, so many different things. And then, yeah, tracking down the people, the interviews, all that fun stuff. And then the editing was uh, quite a few days. Yeah. So, and it's, it's just kind of how it all, you know, how it all happens. Speaking of, I think we have a question uh, that was called in about editing the show. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Let's go ahead and uh, play that one back. I believe that was from a man named Vaughn. Unfortunately, as he is saying his name, it's kind of like, Wah! so I didn't really catch it. But uh, yeah, let's uh, hear this one. I hope I'm calling the projection booth because I'm calling some random guy. Like voicemail message, I'm apologizing, but I'm going to go into it anyway. Going here, listener of the show, first time caller, long time listener, whatever you want to call. Questions. Um, one thing, what happened to the editing of the show? Now, back in the day when Rob was here, even when um what's his face was still on the show, you would edit out a lot of the cursing. And every once in a while you make expansions to that for shows that were more explicit, movies that were more explicit. Um, but as the show has gone on, you kind of waxed and waned on that. Some episodes are really tight, and the editing, the cursing's been edited out, and other episodes were just completely gone. Fakakta. I mean, I don't really care. 
to be honest. I just found it very weird that you have two or three weeks straight of editing, and then one week you just throw it out the window, and there'd be weird for cause and um, extra pieces at the end, maybe some time at the very end of the episodes. Um, that's one. So what happened to that? Two, have you guys, are you ever going to cover anything from Arthur Penn? Um, you know, playwright, uh, director, he did The Chase, he did Bonnie and Clyde, he did Penn and Teller Get Killed. Um, three fantastic films right there that I think you guys, if you haven't covered, I don't know. I can't remember. if you, I've been listening to the show for so goddamn long, I can't remember exactly if you've covered any of his work. But those three films are great. Um, lastly, are you ever going to cover Iguana? Uh, it just came out through Raro Video in the States here on Blu-ray. Um, I think Mike or Rob posted on the Facebook page that it was being released. And you can get it. It's just very kind of problematic with Raro in the States anyway. They kind of say it's on, it's on pre-sale, but then I've seen people have copies of it roaming around. Um, we ever cover that movie at some point. And, uh, besides that, yeah, you guys have been doing a real great job. I'm the one guy who sits here and bitches a month about the vibrator ads, but I know you guys are going to have to make money somehow on this silly fucking project. Um, and, uh, that besides all that, I, I hope you guys continue doing your fantastic work. And, uh, yeah, that's it. All right, guys, I'll keep listening and you keep putting out shows. All right, bye. Okay, so let's take the first part of that, the editing of the show, the beeping and the swear words. Now, when I first came on the show, and you'll notice this during the, the, the first year, basically, when, when Mike was on with, with Justin, is that those early episodes are about an hour. They, they try to be as close to an hour as possible. And part of the reason uh, that I was told when I first came on the show, Mike, uh, that you told me was that at the time you guys were syndicating it to a streaming internet radio station and they wanted them under an hour. They wanted them like 59 minutes and 30 seconds or something. And then they didn't want any swear words because I think that it may have been picked up by some terrestrial station. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, so what happened was, is that when I came on the show, um, things got longer. We, we stopped this sort of like one hour format and I was like, well, you know, let's take the fight club approach. You know, the, the shows only go on as long as they have to, if they need to be four hours, they will be four hours. If they need to be 40 minutes, they will be 40 minutes. And Mike was game to do that with us or with us, the, the Royal, we, here I go came <laughs> speak tonight. But anyway, that's where really that came from. And with that, we started removing the beeps because we no longer kind of felt that we had to even worry about, you know, FCC, you know, concerns or whatever, you know, when you're dealing with terrestrial radio, which obviously with podcasts, you can't get fined for a volley of curse words. I think you'll notice that I don't, I don't swear that often. I don't think that when we're hosting, we swear that often. It's just, you know, if, if I want to say, I'll say, you know, like that was good, you know, I'll say it, but I, I don't get a charge out of going, oh, well, I've got to, I've got to roughen it up. I've got to make it sound more, you know, it's hip to swear. No, like my, my mother raised me by saying that if her, her take was, is that if you had to swear, then you didn't have a big enough vocabulary. She always felt it. You could be a little bit more creative. So I, I think that's kind of in my head from my youth, but uh, is there anything you want to add on sort of the swearing and the editing? Well, I will say that we still actually do syndicate our shows over to Jackalope. 
which is the the station that you were talking about and um but they are definitely more lax when it comes to the swearing so i that's why we have become as well that's why we don't do the beeping and as far as the 59 minute thing goes i still give them 59 minute shows and that does not mean that i go in and i take with some of these four and a half hour shows and cut them down to 59 minutes i give them the first 58 minutes and 30 seconds and then have a little bumper that says if you want to hear more come on over to the projection booth and that's it so they get a taste and people who subscribe via our itunes our stitcher our website itself you guys get the full thing so there are people out there somewhere in radio land who are getting the first 59 minutes of our shows and hopefully they are coming over and checking out the rest there are definitely differences in the shows like rob and i both have very I don't know. I don't know if our styles are are greatly different, but we definitely do have personal styles when it comes to editing. So there might be some shows that you can actually tell Rob edited versus what I edited. I like the way that he does stuff. I hope he likes the way that I do stuff. But yeah, we both definitely have our own personal styles. I would say the one thing that's different between our editing styles, and if you're all that, you know, you want to be geeky and figure out sort of who edited which episode, I would say 90% of the time, whoever opens the show, has written basically the rundown notes for that show that we're following, and then in turn we'll edit that episode. So if you hear me go, "Hi, I'm you know welcome to the projection booth. I'm Rob St. Mary, and joining me is Mike White," then that's probably a show that I edited. And if it's the other way around, it's a show that Mike edited. Um, there there are some changes to that. For example, um, the recent episode of American Mary, which I lead in on, I didn't do because Mike had to do all the robo host programming, which I I don't have RoboHost. Mike has him. And I uh, would like to say that I'm very proud to say that we received a sketch of RoboHost from one of our listeners, and we should put that up at projection-booth.com and share it with the folks. Yeah, definitely. It's over on our Facebook feed right now, but it will go up on the website. I don't know if um, you know if people have a problem with the swearing or not. Um, that's just a personal taste issue. The other thing that seems to be a personal taste issue, and we gotten a couple of emails or calls on this from time to time are the uh the vibrator ads and <laughs> i just want to lay it out in terms of the vibrator ads is that they're there to help us raise a little money like i said we have not done fundraisers we do not go hey go to paypal and give us this we don't read a long list of go to this site and type in this and go here and do that like i have friends who have podcasts and they will read like five minutes worth of promotional stuff which my ears glaze over if that's even a possibility <laughs> uh because it's just like it, it gets in the way it sounds it sounds larded up, and I don't care about that. I mean, I understand that the show is trying to sustain itself, and, and really one of the ways that you can sustain it without us like sort of prodding you all the time is you'll notice on each episode at projection-booth.com, we'll say, buy the book, buy the video, buy the DVD, whatever. And if that stuff goes to Amazon and you click through on that link and you buy, for example, say you're buying, you know, we just had that American Mary episode. So you're like, oh, I'd like to get the DVD. So you click through and you buy the DVD. It'll say reference and then there's a code. We get a little taste of that. So that's that's really all we have. So if, if you notice, we run mostly promos for other shows. Our friends outside the cinema, our friends over at the Weedsman, our friends at, you know, um, Adventures in VHS, our friends over at We Hate Movies, our friends over at, you know, Proudly Resents. I mean, like, we have a lot of great 
uh, podcast friends out there. And we, we love to support them, and we hope that you, when you hear those spots, you'll go, oh, I'll go check them out. Because, you know, they've basically got the, you know, the thumbs up, the seal of approval from us. Our friends over at Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts, you know, all of that. So we're not constantly throwing stuff at you because we're trying to make money. So really, that vibrator ad is the only thing that we have that, uh, that gets us a little cheddar outside of go to the website and hit the PayPal button or, you know, link through and buy something off Amazon. So, you know, I, I actually think they sound better now with our, our new friend. And I don't know, are we at liberty to say that who did it? Go right ahead. So that's uh, Jamie from uh, Devour the Podcast and Liking It and a few other 1,600 podcasts that she does. I mean, the, she's just a fabulous friend. She's really busy, and she's been on with us before. And she put her golden tones on it, which I think is much better than the previous person we had and also Mike trying to sound sexy. So, I mean, if anything, you know, just listen to Jamie for the minute. I mean, she's she's got a great voice. I like her pipes. There you go. Going to the next question in this voicemail, will we cover anything from Arthur Penn? Yeah, actually, uh, we have been trying to get Penn or Teller from uh, Penn and Teller Get Killed, which was one of Arthur Penn's films. The thing that's funny about this, and, and I think it will happen because we had Adam Rifkin on, and we did a special with Adam Rifkin to help fundraise for... Uh, director's cut, which is the film that Penn Jillette and Adam Rifkin have just wrapped on. They're in post right now, but this was about a year ago. And uh, since I helped to back it and things like that, and I get a lot of response from that. And and I had talked to Adam Rifkin on that interview, and I said I'd love to have you back on because I mean, Adam Rifkin, I'd love to talk about the Dark Backward, which I think is a, a overlooked film. And Penn, we had been in conversation with for a while, and I think in as director's cut comes out and he's looking for attention, I think we can uh, sneak a little time for Penn and Teller Gets Killed. The other aspect of this is, and this is a funny story and one that you're only going to hear right now as opposed to later, is I think were we really close to getting Teller and he saw, uh, what was it, like a Google Ads word thing where Scientology kept coming up on our page. And this was when we did the two Scientology uh, related films. We did Makaban Mu and we did Battlefield Earth. And for some reason, him or his press person thought that we were some sort of Scientologist blog or something and um, kind of turned us down. <laughs> Stop returning our calls. Google hit those keywords and was just like, oh, I'll surf up this ad. And so since then, I've gone through and said, no religious ads on the projection booth, please. We do not want to be advocating any one religion over another. You know, I don't know if the Zoroastrianists have enough money to do any kind of Google AdWord kind of stuff. I don't know, you know, if my local Taoist temple has anything. So I just want to, you know, no religion on here, please. We'll take, uh, we'll take vibrators. We'll take Viagra, whatever it is. But yeah. We just we don't want the religion on there, and we especially don't want to be confusing any sort of uh, agents or press people and thinking that we're advocating stuff when we're not. Yeah, I just thought that was hilarious because if anyone would have listened to the first minute of either of those episodes, they would have heard like the disclaimer that you had on the front of those shows. Yeah. The other Arthur Penn movie that I'd love to cover, I don't know if you've ever seen this one, Rob, I'd love to talk about Night Moves sometime. Is that um, based on the Bob Seger song? No, and nor does it have anything to do with chess, but uh, it is with um, Gene Hackman and a very young Melanie Griffith, and it is kind of a neo-noir, and I think it is really a terrific film. 
Sounds good. Well, that's definitely one on there. And speaking of uh, another question that was on the call, would we ever cover Monty Hellman's iguana? Now, Monty Hellman's been on a couple of times. He was on Reservoir Dogs and talked about meeting Quentin Tarantino and how he helped produce that. He was on our Tulane Blacktop episode. And I think he was on uh, even earlier in one of the earlier episodes with you, right, Mike? Yep. Flight to Fury, he was on that episode and also our RoboCop episode because he did second unit directing for that. So Mr. Hellman has been all over the place on the projection booth and we love to talk to him. Yeah, I don't see why we wouldn't talk about Iguana. When it comes to Monty Hellman stuff, there's actually other stuff that I'd like to talk about a little bit more. I'd love to do like a cockfighter episode. But um, yeah, Iguana, not too bad. But I would love if we were able to get um, the star of that film to be on with us. But I think he's kind of MIA right now. I just saw a uh, a tweet from David Lynch a few months ago where he was trying to track this guy down. Maybe that was the early news about uh, Twin Peaks that didn't pick people didn't pick up on is that he was trying to find Big Ed. There you are. We could have solved it first. We could have solved it, but we didn't. So. Right. So there we are. So let's go to uh, another one of our written questions. Oh, this is a mar- this is a multi-part guy, and this is from uh, JP. And JP is a guy I think who often uh, puts comments at projection-booth.com. We we find that we seem to get a decent amount of tweets and, and Facebook notes, but uh, sometimes we don't get a lot of comments on the actual show pages themselves. So if if you have something that you want to talk about in reference to one of our episodes, feel free to go there. We have some people who write us, you know. Uh, I guess like PhD dissertations <laughs> episodes. And are you talking about the foreign viewer? Yeah, I like the foreign viewer. I mean, he's a good guy. But uh, sometimes I'm like, oh my, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> just like you know so uh, i i'm happy to get all the comments we can get so uh you should interact with the foreign viewers you go on there and, and interact with him and, and and get into some uh don't get into flame wars just just you know comment on things it's very nice but i think jp's another guy who often comments at projection-booth.com in our episodes and uh this is a multi-parter so let's start with the first part he says uh, could you describe the layman? Yes, Dr. Lecter, a layman. Uh, your process for courting interviewers or interviewees for their first appearance on the projection booth. What's the rundown? How do you convince them to come on the show that it'd be worth their trust and time, especially some higher profile folks who might be skeptical of journalists and they says, i.e. Friedkin? Well, it's kind of a mix of things. I mean, I talked about um, before the before the jump and all the promos how I met Luke Wilson, was able to get a hold of him, and I dealt with him directly as opposed to dealing with, you know, press agents or attorneys or things like that. Um, because a lot of times you notice that with some Hollywood folks, those press agents and reps are usually working in, in sort of two manners. And what I mean by this is their job is to say no. A lot of times their job is just to say no. That's what agents do. They get a lot of stuff. They just say no. And then you often hear years later, and I'm not talking about interview shows. I'm talking about like scripts, right, where you're like, yeah, um, so-and-so sent this script to my agent, but my agent never gave it to me, and it went to someone else, and I could have been in that movie. And so you hear those stories all the time. It's kind of a similar thing with interviews. So a lot of times agents say no or agents will be cool to do it, but they want to time it in conjunction with something that's coming up. For example, recently uh, we had Harry Lennox on the show. And Harry Lennox, I had been – ever since we decided to do all those Shakespeare films and Roman films, I was like, we have to do Titus. We have to get Harry Lennox. 
this is just like we have to do it. So we tracked him down. We got a hold of his agent, and his agent was like, yeah, we could do it, but um, he's got X, Y, and Z coming up, and we'd really love to time it with that. And how about we do it at this time? That way the show comes out. That helps to promote Blacklist. That helps to promote all this other stuff he's doing. Great. So sometimes you deal with agents in that way. In the case of Friedkin, I think it may have been uh, a combo, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, that Friedkin had his book coming out, plus he was um, restoring Sorcerer, and it was supposed to come out on Blu-ray and DVD. So there was this opening, there was this window where you could get him because you know he's a rather big name, and his agent was willing to open it up a bit more and a bit more broader than say he's only going to talk to the New York Times or he's only going to talk to the LA Times or Hollywood Reporter or Variety. Exactly, yeah. That was totally it. Even though you know he told me to just drop him a dime and uh, we'll talk again, unfortunately that didn't happen for the cruising episode. But who knows? Now we have his person's information and it's more of a direct line. That's also the thing with this is how many – people you have to kind of get through to get to the actual person, either for them to say yes or for their publicist or agent or whatever to say yes. It's kind of funny. I have this little plug-in on my Gmail that will tell you when things are being opened and when they're being opened. And uh, going back to the Blair Brown thing from uh, Altered States, when I sent a request to her people, I saw this thing bounce around so many different times, and then it just kind of died. I did the same thing with Bob Balaban. I saw that thing bounce around, and I'm talking about you know somebody in New York opened this email, somebody in London opened this email, and you can just see it kind of tracing through you just get this little notification that says this was viewed at this time from an ip that matches blah 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 and with that one fortunately next thing i know i get this you know somebody in chicago saw it somebody over here saw it and then yes mr balaban is available and we can set up something great other times you just see it bounce around and then it never gets back to you i would also add that one other thing on this is that sometimes when you want to talk about films that you find interesting, sometimes they just don't want to talk about it because either it was a bad time in their life, it was a bad experience, they don't like that movie all that much, um, whatever the reasoning is. you know. I mean, if, if you have a huge body of work and you've done a lot of stuff and some kid, you know, I guess we're still kids, uh, contacts you and says, I want to talk about a movie you did 35 years ago, you're like, well, what about what I just did last week? Sometimes it's difficult. It depends on who you're dealing with. It depends on how they feel about their own work. Some people don't want to go back and, and look at the old stuff. They just want to keep you know, forging forward. And it just all depends on who you're dealing with in terms of personalities. It depends on who you're dealing with in terms of agents and how those agents feel about that, if they think it's going to be worthwhile. We'll say, I mean, you know, when you get a William Friedkin, when you get a Peter Bogdanovich, when you get um, you know, Luke Wilson who's going to be on the show – we can open the door with that where we can go, you know, we're just not two guys in their basement. Here are the people we've talked to. Here's the reviews that we've received from places like the AV club and filmmaker magazine and, and things like that. So, and then also when you share it and you let other people know and, and we get more listeners that helps to build that mass. So the people go, Oh yeah, this is respected. People know this show and they appreciate what they do there. And they know that we're not going to do those. Ah, gotcha kind of stuff. I mean because I mean a lot of these folks have done things in their past that we could 
we could bring up and really make them feel really bad about, but we don't, we don't, we're not interested in that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, why, because why would you want to do that? That doesn't, that's not cool. I want to talk about the work. Just so people know, I, I would say that probably out of 10 requests that we send out, we get back one that says yes. And the rest are either no's, probably two no's, and then uh, seven no answers whatsoever. So we're constantly trying, you know, so if people are out there, if, if anybody is ever like, oh, well, you should do this movie, you should do this, you should talk to this person, well, you talked to this guy, why didn't you talk to this person? Trust me, we tried. We definitely are trying. And so there are so many shows that we kind of have rolling around in the back of our heads where it's like, we would love to do that show, but we have to talk to this particular person in order to be able to do that. There are a lot of movies out there where it's just like a one-man band doing this kind of thing, and you got to talk to that guy. You know, good luck covering a a Guy Madden film without being able to talk to Guy Madden. You know, it's like... Yeah, he's got other people that he works with, but yeah, if you can't get Clem Hugh, you can't get Tolls, you can't get McCull- you know, some of these folks, yeah, it's just not worth it. Yeah, and for me, and we've only done in the time that I've been on, we've only done maybe a handful of, of episodes where we've had no interviews, where it's just Mike and I and sometimes a guest who comes on and we just talk about the film. And that to me... I don't like doing that. I, I would rather have someone who's written a book about that person or like we were talking about, have someone who has some sort of connection to that thing, meaning that, okay, if we're going to talk about um, working girls, say we were going to do working girls, but we couldn't get Lizzie Borden and we couldn't get you know, the, the guests that we had on that show, then here you have someone who can share their firsthand experience on what that's like you know, to, to, to live in that world. And, and that I find fascinating that that is another aspect I think of what we do that other film podcasts, um, they either don't take the time or they don't care about that. That's not interesting to them. And that's fine. That's, that's just what sets apart what we do. So I, I would rather have an interview with someone or some sort of background into the idea as opposed to just Mike and I just talking about, Oh, wasn't that great? Yeah, it was great. You know, that that's just not as interesting for me. One of my dreams is, you know, a lot of times if we can't find a person who is directly involved, we'll go to a person who wrote about the movie or wrote about something, you know, tangential to what we're talking about. So many times, like if we can't find that there was a book written about this particular film and it is a really interesting film, I would love it if someday somebody came to us and said, I listened to this episode of The Projection Booth, and this was such a fascinating film that I decided to write the book about this film. That would be my dream, is if we could actually spur somebody to kind of create something based on what we've done. I think that would be terrific, because there's a lot of great movies out there that aren't properly documented, that people just don't know anything about, and we can try to get you close, but there's a lot of times where we can't get as close as we'd like to be. Exactly. So continuing on with the multi-part question from JP says, what films or topics has one of you wanted to cover and the other adamantly refuses or begs not to? The one for me that always sticks out is The Last Action Hero, where I just did not see that film being the masterpiece that uh, Mondo Justin definitely did. But I still had a lively debate. I think um, 
there have been a couple times, Rob, where you've brought up films where I'm like, ah, oh, really? Yeah, like Eyes Wide Shut. I really, I'm not a big fan of that movie. But I think that that was probably one of the better episodes that we've done. Like that, um, Near Dark. I mean, they're really a lot of times when one of us doesn't enjoy the movie as much as the other, and it's usually me because I'm the bigger pain in the ass, I think it ends up being a really lively discussion, and a lot of times I've come away from these films appreciating them more, having talked about them with you, than had I just kind of kept myself in that little cloistered world. See, I can't think of anything that you've brought up to me and said, this is what we want to do, and I was like, no. No, 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 you've never done that. You know, and, you've never done and, that. And I think part of this is, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way, is to borrow a line from a Nirvana song. I was told years ago that I'm easily amused. So, like, most of the time when I see something, I can see the value in it. Like, I might not be in love with it, or I might go, you know what? That film's not for me. That movie was made for, you know, 20 something year old women. Like, I know that. Just because it doesn't ring for me, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a value. So I, I can't really say that I, I can't even think of one film in like the two plus years that I've been on the show where I was like, no, this is this is I, I'm not doing that episode. I, no. I have no interest in that. No, Rob has never done that. I don't think that I've re- adamantly refused. I think I've just said I've seen that before. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, but yeah, I'll do whatever. Yeah. So. And and that is true about Eyes Wide Shut and also um, Near Dark, where I remember I brought that up to you and you're like, eh, no. And if you listen to that episode, I think with Eyes Wide Shut, I think I could tell you're appreci- you had an appreciation for it when you took the time with it. Um, Near Dark, no. you still <laughs> not interested. But uh, both Ed Pettit and I on that episode both gave you the what for. Yeah, exactly. And I loved it. I, I was like, great. And to me, that was a wonderful episode because you really, it felt like you were ended up more in the middle. And Ed was still very much in the, I love this camp. And I'm over in the, eh, it's not doing it for me camp. But at the end of the day, we all three had a great discussion. And obviously, Ed didn't hold anything against us. He's been on the show like five other times since then. So it's it's great. And I love that we can have these live discussions with people and people don't take it personally. Like, oh, if you don't like this movie, you don't like me. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, and, and that's the way that I always ask for you know, our interactions to be with people who are on the show. And also, you know, I think online, I, I really think it's much more prevalent when we talk about Facebook and Twitter. And like I was joking about Flame Wars recently with, uh, with comments. It's like, it, it just seems that when you don't have a face, when you don't hear a voice, people have this tendency to just beat the hell out of each other. Like, you know, the, the monkeys in the beginning of 2001. And that just really makes me sad because really what we're talking about is that we all love film and we're like, this is my angle on it. This is what I see. This is how, you know, where I'm coming from with it. And that to me is more important, you know, is just having a good discussion and learning something new because, you know, hearing Mike go, yeah, here's the problems I had with it. I could go, Okay, I can see that. You know, yeah. like like it gives you something to think about. If I was just going to shut him down and go, "You're a moron," sorry, um, then you wouldn't learn anything new. And me, I've always been about trying to uh, learn new things in terms of, you know, whether it be art or film or life in general. And for me, the projection booth opens up a grand opportunity for me each week 
to talk to amazing people I never thought I would have the chance to talk to about their work and to learn new things and to share it with folks and, and just have a good time. And that's really what it's about for me. And, you know, it even comes when I'm doing Cashiers to Cinemart, the magazine, or I guess it's more of a book now, is people ask me, oh, I'd like to write for you. What should I write about? And I always say, write about a movie that you love, especially a movie that you don't think people necessarily know that much about, because that passion is what I'm always looking for. You know, tell me about that film that maybe everybody hates, but you love, or that film that just... Nobody seems to care about, but you love it. You know, give me that passion because I find that, you know, just so delicious. And it could be something that I think that you're completely full of shit about. But if you have that passion, you know, and you can articulate it, then I'm all about it. You know, like um, I picked up a book recently about showgirls, people who love showgirls, this author loves showgirls. I, I thought Showgirls was all right, but I didn't think that it was, and I didn't think it was the, you know, the god awful mess that so many people thought it was. I want to read this book because I want to see what a Showgirls lover has to say about it. So yeah, here I am. Entertain me. I want to know. Part three of six. This is the uh, Revenge of the Sith of this question, <laughs> Rob. What's the proper way to pronounce Bunuel's first name? I've heard various pronunciations of Louis on the show. It would be simpler to pose this question via voicemail, but the line's been busy. Okay. Well, since it's Spanish, and I'm just going by the fact that I know several people who who are Mexican and have this as their first name, and it's Luis. So it's Luis. In French, it would be Louis, and it would be spelled different. It would be spelled like Louis, but it would drop the S off. So, so it's Luis Bunuel. So that's how I say it. It doesn't help that Bunuel works so much in France. So you kind of yeah. get that Francification of his name. Yeah, which goes back to if you read um, My Last Sigh, who when I talked to Jean-Claude Carrier on um, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, uh, in the book, in um, My Last Sigh, and if you haven't read it, you probably should. It's one of my favorite uh, film autobiographies, and I put autobiographies in quotes because Jean-Claude wrote it uh, basically from conversations with Bunuel, was um, that Bunuel said that France knows everything, uh, that the Spaniards know everything about France, but France knows nothing of Spain. And I think that um, much the same way, and I think I talked about this on the show, um, Probably Mexico and Canada probably know more about America than Americans know about Mexico and Canada, just by virtue of who has the money and who's calling the shots. So a um, little uh, political rant there for you. Rob, first you got to get the money, then you get the power. No. First you get the job, then you get the khakis, then you get the girl. So JP, part four. The Revenge, part four. Uh, strangest and most unpleasant locations either of you have been forced to conduct an interview. I asked this after recently listening to an episode where he had internet difficulties and a forced mic to use the McDonald's Wi-Fi. Yeah, the McDonald's Wi-Fi. Was that Cabin Boy? That was both Cabin Boy and Blowout because I was talking to the producer of Blowout inside of McDonald's, so that was shit. And then I was out in the parking lot of the um, McDonald's away from the uh, noisy teenagers um, when we recorded the Cabin Boy interview. So, yeah, that was that was pretty shitty. We've already talked about having to do that for McDonald's, but are there any other strange or unpleasant places where you had to do interviews? I think you might have more of these than I. Well, my basement is pretty unpleasant sometimes, and that's pretty much where I do the majority of recording. If you want to laugh at how uncomfortable an interview uh, Blast of Silence is with Mr. Barron, 
oh, wow, yeah, go listen to that. And he basically beats the hell out of Mike sometimes. It is, it is. <laughs> that was one of the more combative interviews that I've ever heard anyone on this show do. I'm kind of glad the way that the episode turned out. I think that it was a terrific episode. We had a great conversation with Howard Rodman. It stands out for me just because of Mr. Barron's um, interview. All right. So JP, number five, who's a better spokesperson for the Adam and Eve ads? The vibrator ads again. Uh, Mike or the female voice currently doing the ad? Well, I, we already answered this one, so it's hands down. It's Jamie. And uh, I don't know. Maybe they want to hear it again. So why don't you play it again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we already answered that one. Uh, JP, number six, Mike, what other screenplays impressed you as equally as much as The Faculty? This one feels like there's a joke in here, and I'm kind of, to quote Iggy Pop, I'm looking for the joke with a microscope. I don't remember the screenplay for the faculty whatsoever. That was a Kevin Williamson screenplay. He might have even directed the film. I um, I think you referenced it somewhere in an episode saying that you had read it and you were impressed by it. Oh, you know what? Yeah, the faculty. We talked about that one when we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers episode. And I did read the screenplay for that. Um, I read that in Baltimore years and years ago. And I, I had read the screenplay, didn't really feel like I needed to see the movie after I read the screenplay, but then I went ahead and I watched the movie anyway. This, the screenplay wasn't bad. Like I said, I think it was a Kevin Williamson or, yeah, actually, I think it was Rodriguez might have directed that one. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a fairly decent screenplay. So I don't know. Again, um, Maybe, maybe there's, maybe I was being sarcastic or something, but yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm not feeling it right now. Okay. Well, um, thank you, JP, for the uh, email. Like I said, multi part question there. So I think we're going to go back to the audio. Don't we have another uh, call? We do. We have Ken from Rhode Island, longtime listener, first time caller. Hey, Mike and Rob. This is Ken checking in from Rhode Island. Uh, this is for your ego fest show. I'm just going to skip the part where I kiss your ass and tell you how much I love the show. It's well documented that the projection booth is my favorite podcast on the planet. Um, give you guys a couple of topics for this uh, show. Um, what's a movie that you didn't like the first time you saw it, but you grew to like it? For me, it has to be Big Lebowski. When I went and saw it in the movie theater... I I was not into it. It was not the follow-up to Fargo that I was hoping for, because I loved Fargo. But then a friend of mine convinced me to check it out again on video, and I have to say, when I just dropped my preconceived notions and allowed it to be the movie that it was instead of the movie that I wanted it to be, uh, I'm part of the cult of the dude now. Um, Conversely, what's a movie that you liked the first time, but when you saw it again, it didn't really hold up? Uh, I remember going to see Thor in the movie theater, um, really having a great time. You know, I had my big-ass Coke and my giant popcorn and shoveling in, loving it. Watched it at home. What a piece of garbage that movie is. I don't know what I was thinking. So my next question is, what's the first movie you remember really being into when you were a kid? For me, it has to be Star Wars. I'm definitely a kid of my generation. Um, Mike, I'm very particularly interested in your answer because you were born in the time before VCRs, so it was a different experience for you guys then. I'm starting to ramble. So quickly, my last question is, what is your cinematic sin? I'll give you mine. Bless me, Father St. Mary, for I have sinned. As much as I love Steven Spielberg, and he's pretty much the reason why I love cinema, oh... 
my God, I cannot sit through close encounters of a third kind. I have tried. I have tried as a child. I've tried as an adult. Maybe I'll try it as a senior citizen. And it'll be the cure for insomnia. I don't know. But um, love your show, you guys. Talk to you soon. Movie didn't like the first time, but then liked later. Oh, man, that's easy. I I dedicated a part of my personal real estate to this thing. First time I saw the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, I did not get it. I talk about that on the episode. I didn't get it. I didn't I didn't understand why it was a classic. I didn't understand why people liked this movie. It didn't make any sense to me. And then watched it again like five years later, and I'm like, this is a freaking masterpiece. It is absolutely brilliant, and I love it. And so much so that my first tattoo is the the poster art for the film. So that's that's the biggest one out of movies that I saw the first time and didn't like, but then later liked later. Like Ken, the first one that popped to mind, probably because Ken brought it up, was The Big Lebowski. Uh, when I saw that the first time, I was just not impressed. Um, I was also going through a really bad time in my life. I think I had just separated from my ex-wife, so I was not necessarily in the mood for a comedy. It took me a long time before I went back to that one. It took a co-worker of mine saying, this is the best period piece set in late 1980s America that you could possibly ever want to see. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess maybe because it was just a little too close to the late 80s, but they did capture that time perfectly, and I love the way that the George Bush lines kind of are echoed throughout the rest of the film, and now... I appreciate that film a lot. I haven't gotten a tattoo of the dude or bowling pins or anything like that on me, but yeah, this is definitely one that I like a lot more. Hated it the first time. Love it now. What movie did you like the first time, but didn't really hold up? For me, I used to love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and now I cannot stand that movie. Now, if I ever met Ferris, I would just want to punch him in the face because I think he's just a completely self-absorbed prick. But when I was a kid, I thought, oh, this guy is so cool. And now I know that he's not really cool. How about you, Rob? I would say the third Indiana Jones movie. I saw Last Crusade, I think I saw it in the theater. And when I was a kid, we had uh, VHS of all three of the Indiana Jones movies. I used to watch them all the time. And that's one that now it's... it's better than the Crystal Skull, but it's still not as good as Raiders. And I do, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that are like, "Sorry, it's Raiders and and everything else is garbage." But my one of my first movie experiences when I was six years old was seeing Temple of Doom in the theater and having my freak out at the, uh, the the thuggy cult pulling the heart out of the guy, and my mom teaching me a valuable lesson about cinema trickery at that moment as I was screaming my head off telling me it's only a movie it's only a movie like the old last house on the left trailer so um so that that was a very important film to me uh regardless of what you think about sort of the ridiculousness of the second film compared to the you know more serious and direct forward way that uh, Raiders has done totally agree with you about uh, the third Indiana Jones. I've actually written quite a bit about why I don't like that movie, and um, I'd be happy to share it with anybody who wants to read me about uh, why I think that movie is kind of shitty. So what was the first movie that you were really into as a kid, Rob? First movie I was really into as a kid, I think it may have been Airplane. 
I don't mean it in terms of, you know, I wanted to collect all the stuff. It was just like when I was a kid, and I'm sure the people that have kids right now who are youngish, I mean somewhere between like 8 and 13, just constantly used to watch that movie on a loop. I used to watch Ferris Bueller all the time too on VHS. And then, of course, the Indiana Jones films. So I, I think that was the first movie I was really into. I didn't get all the humor and the jokes, but I knew it was silly and ridiculous. And for some reason, I really appreciated sort of that silly ridiculousness in there. And also the thing about Airplane, when I first saw it, it was the first movie I ever saw that made fun of my hometown. And I, at first, I didn't understand why they were making fun of the place. There's the line in there where um, Robert Hayes goes into the bar and the voiceover is, you know, it was filled with every reject from Bombay to Calcutta. It was worse than Detroit. And I didn't understand why um, why they were making fun of Detroit in 1980. And then what I come to find out is when you watch Kentucky Fried Movie, there's actually two references to Detroit in there and how awful it is. There's one in the Fistful of Yen sequence where the guy they've kidnapped and they bring him before the big boss and he's like, take him to Detroit. And he's like, no, please say anything but that. No. And like they drag him off. And then the other one is, I think it's also in the Fistful of Yen sequence is um, they're watching these slides and he's sort of explaining to the spy or whatever what his, you know, what he's supposed to do. And there's this line about, you know, it's totally inhabitable. It's a horrible place. It's worse than Detroit. Yes. And it's like, I, I don't know what it is about the, uh, the, the ZAZ team during that era in the late seventies and early eighties, but they really had it out for our hometown. I think for me, the movie that I was really into as a kid was definitely star Wars. Um, and I'm talking about star Wars, now called Episode 4, A New Hope. And uh, actually, we will be talking a lot more about Star Wars in May when we do our uh, Modi May, uh, talking about films that you just really can't see. And that original version of Star Wars that I kind of grew up with is one of those. So uh, we will definitely be uh, talking Star Wars when it comes to that. And I think that may lead us into our last question from Ken, which is, what is your cinematic sin? And I'll tell you what mine is. I don't really like the first Star Wars movie all that much. I know that that's going to lead to a lot of flame wars. That's going to lead to a lot of people going, what the hell? Take his film review license away. But serious, like, I, I think it was, I was a little bit too young. I was born in 78. The film came out in 77. I did see it in the theater uh, before the second one came out because at that time, you'll remember in the Wild West time before uh, VHS and all that beautiful home video stuff, the first Star Wars film played until the second one came out. So 1980, the second one came out. I was two, and I remember going to see Star Wars. I didn't really remember it. I just remembered the sound more than anything, and um, I never really got into it. Um, I, you know, I think the, the dialogue's ridiculous at times. Um, the visuals are nice, things like that. Story's okay, but it just didn't. It didn't grab me. Like I'm sure that if I was born a few years before totally would have had me by the uh, non-existent short and curlies at that period, and I would have been buying every damn Star Wars toy I could get my hands on, which seems to be the case with everyone who is anywhere from about three to five years older than me. Including yours, truly. Yes. So my cinematic sin, I'm not really sure. Um, it used to be Giant. I used to think, oh, I really should like Giant, but um, the, I'm talking about the movie with Rock Hudson and um, Elizabeth Taylor and the guy, James the Dean. dead guy, James Dean, the guy who makes the sausages. Jimmy Dean, yeah. Right. Uh, but then 
over the last couple of years, I've found a lot of other people that don't like that movie either. So I'm glad. I don't think that it's really kind of held up um, as this classic. I think the one I get in trouble for the most is um, because it gets tied up. Uh, people think that I'm anti-Semitic because I don't like the documentary Shoah, this 10-hour documentary about the Holocaust, which to me really doesn't need to be 10 hours long because I think it's bad filmmaking that leads to it being so long and not the actual importance and the weight of the subject matter. I think you could tell a amazing Holocaust story in five minutes. You can tell a brilliant Holocaust movie story in 20 minutes, but this thing goes on for 10 hours. And a lot of that is just translating. It's a uh, interviewer who asks a question, a translator who then translate the, translates the question to another language, the person who answers, the translator who translates it back to the interviewer, and then the follow-up. And you just kind of want to cut your own head off at the uh, inanity of the filmmaking. At least I did. And I will say that I've only seen two hours of the ten hours, so maybe the other eight is brilliant, but what I saw... I'd say it was probably 45 minutes, it felt like, of people talking about the gesture where you run your finger across your throat. Basically, it's that you're going to be killed gesture. And Steven Spielberg actually handled that in kind of a cutaway shot in Schindler's List. It took about maybe 20 frames. It was just as good as 45 minutes of Shoah. I would also add on to the pile in terms of cinematic sin, a movie that I'm supposed to like because of course it was an Oscar winner and all that stuff, but I don't, I don't find it interesting at all. As a matter of fact, I find it uh, anti uh, everything I stand for in many ways, and that's Forrest Gump. I, I remember when I saw it in the theater, I was 16 and I was impressed with it. This is another one of you saw it the first time and liked it, but now you don't. Now I find it sort of repulsive. I find it to be just everything that's wrong with conformity. To to me, just to encapsulate it really quick. Uh, the character of Forrest Gump kind of floats through life like that feather and doesn't really make any waves and everything's good for him. But those who were protesting, those who lived a more authentic life, those who were able to think and do different things, such as his girlfriend, um, ends up suffering and dying. And I think that that's a really terrible statement, especially for someone like, like Robert Zemeckis who – He's older than us. He would have been around in that civil rights era. He would have been around in that Vietnam protest era, at least as a kid. And for him to make a film that kind of condemns those who, quote unquote, rock the boat, you know, for the for the betterment of others, I've just found it kind of repugnant. You know, we should cover Contact sometime if you want to talk about a repugnant movie. I mean, that movie is one of the most anti-atheist films that I've ever seen and another Robert Zemeckis film. So I'm wondering like when he became the person that he is now because I totally agree with you that it feels like Forrest Gump is this kind of right-wing primer. And the thing that would be amazing, and I haven't seen Contact, is that you know it's based on Carl Sagan book. So the, the fact that someone took a book by Carl Sagan and turned it into as you your reading of it is just amazing to me. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll put that on the calendar here. It sounds like it'll be a fun fun discussion. So we got another email, and it's from Mark, and it's just three words. Please do boom <laughs> with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Now, to be honest, if we were going to do boom, there's only one person I would want to guest host with us on that episode, and I think you know who he is. 
Are you talking about John Waters? Yes, because he's the only person I know of who's ever talked about it and actually really, really likes that film. Yeah, he showed that down in Maryland years ago, but unfortunately it was a year that it didn't go down to the Maryland Film Festival. I would love to have seen that on the big screen with an audience, with an intro and outro by John Waters. I think that would have been a little slice of heaven. And, I mean, if we were going to do Boom, uh, it would have to be with him because he's the only person I know of who has – seen the film i think i don't know if it's ever, <laughs> i don't know if it's ever been on vhs and he actually appreciates it so he's written about it he's talked about it and um i think if we ever do it he would be the guy to get even if we just get him for like 10 minutes with him just explaining <laughs> what it is that he likes about the film uh that would be great if we can get him to co-host with us for a whole show which i don't know whatever happened he has been on with us before that would be amazing and really the only way to really do the film as far as i'm concerned because all the primaries are dead richard burton's dead elizabeth taylor's dead we're not getting tennessee williams so um i don't really know where to go with that one yeah that would be an interesting one to do but um yeah i mean we can always we can always think about it and um try to do that i mean we've done there's a very interesting period in cinema to me, which is that whole um, death of the studio system and kind of rise of the independence in that late 60s, early 70s era. And when we did um, Ira Breckenridge, we talked about that quite a bit. And, and uh, there were some other films around that era that definitely fit into that. The studio is out of touch. They think they know what the youth market wants and they're going to give it to them or shove it down their throats. And I'm thinking Boom might kind of fit into that. So, you know, there might be some interesting stuff. And just so you know, Rob, I did look it up and uh, Boom is available through Amazon on VHS. Uh, it's currently running cheapest $35. So, uh, yeah, track it down and, and get it. Well, there you have it. And we've come to our last uh, email question here, and it's from Lacey. She says, each week, the two of you deliver a new episode of the Projection Booth that is well-researched, engaging, and finely edited. I'm always impressed by what you two come up with and what is even more impressive is that the two of you have full-time jobs. You're always working on other creative projects and often guest on other shows. How do you find the time? So, Mike, uh, why don't you tell her? I don't know if I feel comfortable talking about this, but all I have to do is think really hard and I can make time go slower. And that's generally what I do. That's how I'm able to fit everything in my day that I want to fit in. Well, you know, the thing is, is like where I live now, I'm really close to New Mexico. And I met um, Mike's um, long lost father, Walter. And between Walter and his good friend, Jesse, I don't need to sleep. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on that good glass. And that's sometimes why I'm really excited when I'm on the show, because I'm, I'm, I'm on that meth. I don't know how we find the time, honestly. I mean, I guess I just um, – not having a whole lot of other extracurricular activities kind of helps. Though I will say that I'm pretty far behind on certain other projects. Have you ever written your essay for uh, Marceline's um, French encyclopedia? No, I need to do that. So I'll be doing that soon. The I, I think the other thing is also with both Mike and I and – this this may just be a, a horrible statement to make, is that we don't have kids. So since we don't have kids, unlike a lot of our friends who are podcasters or other film writers or things like that, uh, we don't have that much time that gets eaten up with taking care of kids and, and doing all that stuff, although Mike does have uh, quite a menagerie of animals he does have to take care of. So therefore, that kind of frees us up. And for me, 
I'm just a single guy. I'm just by myself. So I work all this stuff in. I what, what we do, I think this is really like going back to how we schedule and plan and put the shows together, as you were saying uh, before, Mike, is that advanced planning really helps. Like if I didn't know what I was going to have to do on the show next week, you know, like what films I've got to watch or I only knew two weeks in advance, it would be very hard because – I have a lot of stuff that I do for work. As I said, for the last three and a half years, I've been working on that book. Mike's working on his projects. We got all this other stuff that we're doing. So planning the shows in advance really helps because then I can go, okay, I've got these four films that I need to watch within the next month. Um, when can I fit that in? Okay, Saturday, Sunday, uh, you know, Wednesday night, whatever. And that really kind of opens it up. Plus, we try to set a schedule for us to record the shows. So we usually record on a certain night at a certain time and that gives me an idea that okay each week at this time i'm talking to mike i'm doing the show so it's like i got to get all this stuff done so by setting ourselves deadlines by scheduling far enough in advance i think that's how we end up making the most of our time i concur thank you for listening to this i mean in in grand projection booth fashion of course this is over 2 hours long like we we couldn't even do this show you know this this isn't even a short thing once again What's going on? Yeah, we have our issues. Talk about time. But no, I, I, I hope that you found this one informative and you give it a chance to take a listen. And like I said, feel free to share episodes with folks through Facebook and also on Twitter. And I'll put you in the running for some free stuff out of my own personal collection. And it's um, like, like I said, really it is. It really is an honor to do this each week, to get the opportunity to come in here and, and to chat with Mike and other folks and, and, and people who I've just been a huge fan of you know, for years and years or, 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 or people that I've just learned about and, and, and why their stuff is important and becomes important to us and people we um, – and, and the folks who listen like you. So it, it, really, it really is an honor to do this, and I, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that I get to do it. Yeah, thank you for everyone who wrote in their questions, who called in and left their voicemails. It has been uh, terrific uh, getting that feedback. We love the comments. We love when we get tweets and Facebook posts and comments on the blog and everything when we get the reviews because it just it kind of validates us because otherwise we could be kind of, you know, broadcasting into the void, but it is really nice to know that there are actually people out there who will sit down and listen to a, you know, four and a half hour episode on uh, first blood and these kind of things. It's like, it takes a little bit of dedication. It takes a lot of dedication um, to put them together. It takes a lot of dedication to sit down and actually listen to them too. And that's, and that's the thing. I mean, we're not, we, we really, to be completely honest, we don't make any money off doing this. No. As a matter of fact, it costs us because a lot of times we got to buy books. We got to buy movies. We got the hosting fees. Yeah. I mean, there, there are costs involved in, in doing what we do. But I have a tendency to look at it as, you know, this is something I really enjoy. This is something I would have done, you know, I would do for free, <laughs> which I do. And, you know, I, I make the time to do it because I enjoy it. And it's, it's such an honor each week to meet new people, to talk to them about different things and to share it with folks. And, and just to get the chance to hang out with, you know, with Mike by phone and, you know, or by Skype or whatever and, and chat stuff up and, and just have a good time. And I love the reactions. I really do love the reactions that we have to shows where people send us a tweet or, or an email or, or a Facebook post or comment on the projection-booth.com website. And I mean, that's when we know we've done something cool, you know, 
because, like I said, we're not making any money from it. So it's all about having a good time and hoping that you, in the end, dear listener, are also having a good time. So, like I said, feel free to let us know what's going on. Keep in touch and uh, you know, keep listening, keep downloading. Mm-hmm. 